Welcome back to Control the Coronables, guys. This is part three of Freddie Nielsen and Johnny Marais, the Roy of the Rovers story. This is post-Wimbledon 2012. If you haven't listened to part one and part two, I suggest you do before you listen to part three, because this is the story from, from post-Wimbledon 2012 up until their careers currently. It's another fantastic listen. Thank you for joining the show. Please keep sharing, liking, getting this information out there. It's what this information deserves. And it's a big pleasure having Johnny and Freddie on the show again. Enjoy. Moving, moving in, I suppose, so that the next chapter, you know, if we look at the, we've, we've looked at, pre-Wimbledon 2012 we've you know looked at 2012 Wimbledon how did this all change your lives and and I guess that question's twofold and if if I pass it to you first Johnny from a positive side or, and and were there any negative side effects of 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 the the achievement as well uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's many negative things to be honest with you. I like I said I think just that feeling of accomplishment and a feeling of kind of uh you know realizing a kind of dream that that that's something that kind of stays with you for, for well it's, it's still with me now you know I've, I've kind of always got that feeling and that experience uh to kind of call upon i suppose or, or, or in the background i think financially uh you and we all know what it's like when you are not the top of the game and you're kind of scrabbling around from week to week trying to make ends with and meet basically so that was it that was obviously a, a massive bonus of the kind of the, the, the paycheck for winning something like that and that that kind of again a lot of it went towards my tennis and being able to being able to afford a coach to come with me to more events and to, to kind of help us on the road that's really again tennis wise we're now kind of our rankings are taking a massive jump so we're, we're, we're getting to participate in all the kind of big big events throughout the world that all, all the tournaments that I wanted to be part of and now I'm kind of in and around those, those events week in week out so that was amazing amazing because you move, you both you both moved into the top 25 in the world I think after that is that correct yeah I think something so. along that line yeah. exactly what it was but yeah I think around about 20 25 uh, yeah. so yeah that, that gains access access to obviously all the slams master series you know all, all the kind of uh, high profile events you know which uh, along with that comes better, better prize money as well so yeah. you know, there's a lot, a lot of kind of positives there uh, Freddie? Yeah I would say the same way as Johnny the positive side was that there was a lot more opportunity to invest in my own game I had already made a significant investment in my own game in 2012 with the first time I pretty much hired a full time travelling coach yeah. which uh, from, from the start of 2012 because I knew I was going to be playing at Hopman Cup, which was a guaranteed paycheck, which was much bigger than what I was used to. And so I decided to, to use that on, uh, I had the chance to, to, to work with a coach that I really wanted to work with. So I went uh, full time with him. And, and, and uh, obviously, even though I had a good paycheck at, at, uh, at Hopman Cup for full time, that doesn't even cut it. So that helped a lot. Uh, I, I stopped with that coach after the first year and then I went and used that money for another investment in another coach. So that was a big change 
from a from a purely uh, experience point of view i got to experience playing some of the biggest tournaments in the world that i didn't really expect that i was going to play such as uh, rome monte carlo indian wells and miami so i got that experience which was huge i got some experience to ex uh, some chance to experience some things in uh, in denmark for example just small things nothing that would uh, life changing but just the fun little gimmicks but but apart from that i didn't really make much changes to my to my game you know i to my setup i still continued with having uh, singles as my main priority and and therefore it it kind of kept kept going as much as i did i could have if i actively uh, looked um, wanted to explore it more i could have because i had a lot of opportunities in denmark to to build on it but i wasn't interested in it uh, i just wanted to go back to do what i was doing before um so and in a sense it it what what I haven't seen yet, but what what Johnny is also experiencing now that he quit playing tennis is that if you want to stay in tennis afterwards, it gives you a different kind of credibility, or you 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 might get looked at in a different way if you have a good result to put on your resume. Yeah. Uh, even though there's a lot of good tennis players, if you have one, if you have a standout result like that, it will be looked at in a different way. And I feel like I have job security for the rest of my life because. Yeah, it, it it will give me some kind of it will give me it will it will give me a at least a conversation about getting jobs in the future. So so in that sense, uh, I haven't felt that too much yet. I'm obviously coaching a little bit on the side at the moment, even though I'm still playing, and and I'm sure that 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 result made a, a played a big part in in getting those opportunities. Yeah, that's a that, that's an understatement, all right. Um, it just a. Just a quick one, but was there any reason that you guys didn't uh, team up together to defend the title in 2013? Yeah, I can always speak for that because yeah. I was the one who decided not to play too much doubles. Uh, it was a little bit up in the air. We played uh, Cincinnati, Winston-Salem, and US Open, Basel, and London World Tour Finals to finish off the year 2012. Uh, kind of was a bit up in the air. Didn't know what we was gonna do. Johnny was gonna find somebody to play full time with. I was kind of gonna go tournament to tournament. I had set up the first few weeks to play with Bruins from then, and Johnny hadn't really found anybody. And then we were in talks about playing the bigger tournaments, but then unfortunately the thing happened with Ross Hutchins that he had uh, had to uh, take sabbatical due to his illness. And then Colin Fleming was available and. That was just a perfect match for Johnny at that time because they had shared a coach. They were from England. They had they got along well off the court, so that was a good chance for Johnny to to get a full time partner, to, which is obviously the most important thing in doubles in my 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 view. And so after after Australian Open, he started playing full times with with Flambeau. And uh, obviously, he's not gonna say we play full time, but not Wimbledon. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So there's no exclusive big. Big fallout that we can that we can talk about. Not even to make this podcast, you can't even make up like a big kind of diva strop that one of you had, or no, it was as simple as that, was it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah you're an asshole, Johnny. Yeah, go to heck. <laughs> I know you don't mean it. Look at him. Give us something to sell, <laughs> some boys. Come on, give us something to sell. <laughs> and and the O2 finals, that must have been special, huh? But I will say to the other thing, it was a bit, a little bit controversial. You asked about the, the the changes afterwards. It was a bit, little bit controversial that 
obviously nobody understood why I wasn't just continuing playing doubles because the results in singles were not not really comparable to my doubles. So so obviously it came to me. Uh, Johnny was interested in playing with me if I wanted to. I was obviously also interested in playing with Johnny if I wanted to play full time doubles, but or in the tournaments that we were going to play. But I was always going to uh, make a schedule based on. Like I was, I always on 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 my singles, and not so much that I prioritize singles over doubles. It was more I wanted the whole package, and like I told you before, I I I never really had thought that I had much time in tennis, so I wasn't gonna let anything change the way I I I, I live my life, and I was always gonna make sure that I live my life based on the fact that if I somehow got one one billion dollars in the lottery, I wouldn't change too much in my life, and this was the same thing. I was completely happy and loved my life the way it was, and I wasn't gonna change it, uh, even though something like this happened. Um, so, so obviously there was, it was, it was down to me to basically not make the decision because to me there was nothing to make. It to me it was just about uh, continuing the same way, but it was made out to be a decision. And so, for example, when we knew you mentioned London. Um, I played, Johnny played Paris semifinals before we went to London and I played an Italian team match on clay before we went to London. So you can kind of see the chase priority there. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I, remember yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, when we were playing Freddie, like I, I, I knew Freddie and I, I knew he wouldn't, uh, you know, he, he never gave me an impression that he would play doubles. Solely, you know, when because I, I was playing only doubles at that point when I uh, when we when we got together to to play Wimbledon that year, yeah. But I I knew that was a kind of temporary thing, you know, regardless of what happened. I, I know I know Freddie's personality as well, and he's very he's got a very strong personality and, and believes in what he's doing. So it, it was never really, you know, it was never an issue with us. I kind of just knew that 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 was the way Freddie was going to go. So it was just about personally me trying to find uh, an alternative when uh, when yeah when, when, I suppose the, the, the next year seven months after Wimbledon Freddie you played doubles with a Soto tennis player Josh Ward Hibbert mm -hmm. in Cardiff in Cardiff yeah ten thousand ten thousand dollar futures event and, and the week after that I played Indian Wells <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you and you said yeah, and you said to me that week you prefer being in Cardiff playing the ten thousand than you do playing the bigger events. And the reason you gave me at the time was in the doubles events you you hated that you had to wait a couple of days to play matches and you felt you what you didn't get there wasn't that much tennis going on. Whereas <clears throat> in Cardiff I remember this vividly. I remember thinking you're mad, but I have so much respect for you, you know, because you're, and I actually did an interview, which is on our YouTube, actually, Soto Tennis's YouTube on this. And, and you, you were coming in every morning and you were practicing for about an hour, hour and a half in the morning. You were then going out, coming back, playing your match. I think you won the singles, I believe that week. And maybe you guys ever won the doubles or lost in the final of the doubles. But, and then you were playing your match and then you were then practicing on the evening as well. And, and you just seemed so content doing this in a, in a cold, lifeless tennis center. 
<laughs> when obviously you could have been off off playing your your big tournaments all the time and I, I thought that was so can you explain to the listeners your your thought process around that because like you say I think that is a little it's a little bit controversial but it's also it's very uh, it's very I'm very I respect you a lot for it yeah, so it's quite easy the easy explanation is that that's me the other side is not me yeah, so yeah. for example one thing I feel pretty certain about is that if I had gone against my desires and what I wanted to my life to play doubles, which would have been for the wrong reasons, yeah. it would have only worked as long as things were great and gone well, because at some point there would have been some resentment yeah. because I'd, I would have gone against what I, what I desired. And, and th th I feel like I obviously wanted to be, playing Indian Wells as much as possible, but I didn't feel that I belonged there in the same way as I did in Cardiff because that was my true level at the time. Uh, I didn't see myself as, as a doubles player. So when I went to Indian Wells the week yeah. after, every evening I had to remind myself, oh, I have to check the order of play. I'm, I'm actually here to play, you know, if I'm playing tomorrow. But I, I, it didn't feel me because it was my desires. I didn't yeah. have the motivation, the, 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 the financial motivation or the desires to, to become... Uh, like a Grand Slam champion or such continuously in, in doubles. It just didn't, that's not the motivational factor for me. So, so the, the motivational factor for me was to compete at the level I had in singles and then get whatever I could get out of it. But it was not so much a singles versus doubles. It was about everything because I kept playing Grand Slams whenever I could. I kept making some decisions to play. So it was, I'm just a tennis player who wants it all because yeah. I'm also played a lot of league tennis. I played league tennis with you guys in, uh, in, in England uh, for the doubles league and and uh, and I just want everything that tennis has to offer like if you remember I told you that I thought I didn't even think that I was going to have a chance to get one ATP point and yeah. and then after two years on the tour I thought okay I have two more years left so that's why it's, first of all nothing nothing is ever really gonna knock me off my stride when it comes to tennis because I've already gotten so much more out of it that I that I that I dreamt of but at the same time, when I was able to then continue to live the life that I really wanted and the number one thing that I desired the most, then I would really betray myself by not taking advantage of that and keep going for it when the opportunity was there instead of betraying myself. I mean, if it were for people who always said the monetary reasons, that was nonsense because if I, was in, if I were in tennis for monetary reasons, I wouldn't have started playing full-time tennis. You know, if I was in it for monetary reasons, I don't start tennis thinking I can't get an ATP point. You know, that's madness. I would have done something else. Obviously, there was some, there's the playing the big, the big tournaments, winning it and all this and that. That was also, of course, that has some, some desire and attraction. And I always went into the grandstands to do that. But at the doubles too, at the same time, you know, it's only Wimbledon finals once. And if you're lucky, you get to play it once. Many people don't even get to play it. It's World Tour finals once. The rest of the time you play, I mean, even the first round slams, you're, the first few times you played, it's unbelievable experience, of course. But then, in a certain way, it does become a little bit reality. And you play first round on court 22 in front, in front of four people. You have the worst practice slots. You have to be four in court. You, you hit a little bit down the line. Then you hit cross court. You go in. You play two up, two back. And you play some points. And, and I felt that it, it has some upside. I'm doing it now because I wasn't good enough to continue singles. And I realized that when I was done with, with singles now, when the transition tour officially put me out of my misery, 
that I still had some unfinished business with with uh, with with tennis, and that came in the shape of doubles. And I I am enjoying it now, but there's not a single day where I don't miss the life of 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 of, of being able to compete in singles, even though it was maybe in your eyes only in futures level in Cardiff. But uh, but for my level, it was I'm playing full time tennis, competitive, and I'm playing at a good level, and I'm able to keep getting better I, I was i was not even competing in denmark so for me it was just you know always unbelievable for me to experience very good <clears throat> very good yeah that's uh, i mean that's i'll tell you what it, it's so beautiful to listen to that freddie uh the the you know the 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 humbleness of it the your your love for tennis you, you obviously you truly truly love the game. I can I can I'm listening to you here, and it's, it resonates so deep in my head. You saying those things, and you know I think I mentioned it earlier on in the podcast that just you know you guys are just so down to earth lads. But you know, and it's it's beautiful to listen to no matter what the, the heights that you've played at, that you've you, you know you've stuck to your roots. Yeah, thanks. And the way I see it, sport sport to me is it's like living art. For me, it's a bit of art, and I, I always try and compare it to the best comparison I would have is to music. If you have a musician, you if you start getting somewhat successful, you have a choice to make. Do you sell out for the record company and you go big and you go commercial, or do you stay true and make the music that you want to make? There's no right or wrong. Both is okay. It's okay that you're a big pop star who wants to be a big pop star, who reaches millions of people and change their lives. But... For me, I prefer to play the music that I want to play, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's no right or wrong. It's just the way I want to do it. So well put. So well put. See, a lot is made of Wimbledon, rightly so. I want to just share one very quick story, and then I'll lead you guys to it. You obviously you qualified for the O2 finals. Um, still one of my big regrets I was at the time doing a little bit of um, broadcasting <clears throat> for, for Radio 5 and, and I was flying out actually for your, for your match Radio 5 were flying me out from Gibraltar to London and I was going to be commentating on your match and the flight was delayed by five hours to go out of Malaga and I never actually made it which you know was was a big regret of mine, uh, but obviously I followed you guys very closely. The O2 finals, a very special event. You made the semi-finals. I think a lot of people forget that. You know how 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 was that experience? Yeah, I mean again, obviously another uh, incredible kind of experience just to have qualified for that kind of event. I know. I mean, we didn't have an unbelievable year together, but we obviously had. One very good tournament, and we and we had a few results, uh, kind of leading up to it to qualify for it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, just just as a venue, a massive indoor arena like that, and to come out, just you know how it's done with the it's dark, very dark there, and there's only the courts lit, and then the, the heartbeats and everything. It's just a, an incredible kind of different experience. Yeah. I think for me as well, like obviously being in in, in London. Uh, Again, you know, there's a lot. We, we had the kind of crowd on our side. And, yeah, I think I, I actually went into that tournament after a pretty bad run of form leading up to it. I had a good week week before with, with Paul Hanley, I think it was, in Paris. I, I got a few matches under my belt, so it was nice to go in feeling quite, uh, you know, confident in the game again. 
you know. So, uh, I mean, we, we had two, our first two matches to qualify. I think we played, uh, we, 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 had, we were match points down in the both. So, you know, they were both very competitive and very close and kind of tense and, and kind of coming through matches like that again in front of that kind of crowd and just feeling that kind of buzz. And, you know, you, it's their kind of feelings that I'll, I'll always kind of, you know, I'll never kind of forget what the, that, that type of feeling. So, John, how does, we touched <clears> on this when we were talking about the Wimbledon final, but maybe didn't go into the depth of it. How, how did the crowd compare, the O2 compared to the crowd on that centre court for Wimbledon final? If we talk about the mindset you had during the O2 compared to Wimbledon, not at any, when you talked about Wimbledon 2012, you never really, until until 4-1 in the fifth set, I don't believe you mentioned that you felt you were going to win it. it did, do, you, do you think that your expectations changed in the O2, which maybe led to, to you not able to quite perform to the same level? Well, I think, if I can take that one, I don't think we performed poorly. I think it was also just a little bit of, a different scoring system. It goes quick the other way. There was a lot of no ad points. No, there wasn't any no ad points in Wimbledon. Yeah. And uh, I actually feel like we performed quite well, especially considering how Johnny said we didn't play great after that. Uh, my wrist wasn't great for the rest of the year uh, after the Wimbledon final, but I kept playing too early. Uh, I started playing again too early because I wanted to have the experience and I convinced myself that I could do it. So we played Cincinnati I wasn't at all ready for played not very good and Winston-Salem the same and it got okay for the US Open because I really wanted it and I wanted to believe that it was okay yeah. I had been hitting and kind of playing and my backhand wasn't great and then the whole fall wasn't very good we we had some uh, yeah some, some disappointing Davis Cup matches for me where I wasn't doing well and my backhand started to which I always felt like was a reliable shot for me started to not feel great and when I came into the O2, I wasn't really feeling unbelievable. I wasn't feeling like the bee's knee. So so I didn't really have much expectations. I was just looking forward to playing. So in the sense, it was pretty much the same way as it was in uh, in Wimbledon. And I also think that we did quite well in the first two matches. They were Actually, I feel the first two matches were very similar to the Wimbledon matches in the sense they were very close. And somehow we, yeah. we won them. We had one, one of the match points we saved against Bupati and Bopana. There was a ball in the middle of the court and we both kind of hesitated to take it. And then Johnny kind of dinked his forehand in in front of me while I swung a complete whiff backhand because he took it before me. And we still ended up winning that point. So in the sense, those things were going our way and it's just it felt like a little bit that we ran out of luck. I don't think we played that badly. The The, the last group match was poor, but the, the, the semi-final wasn't bad. I actually felt we played better than the, the score. I mean, I think... The, the, the matches were quite similar. I think at, at, the, at the O2, uh, when the doubles comes on, it's quite, there's not many people around, you know, there's not many, not everyone's in their seats, you know. They yeah. kind of generally turn, the doubles is before the singles, so people start to turn up through, through the doubles match. So yeah. by the time the doubles is finished, it's, it's a full house. And it was quite similar, I think, at, uh, at Wimbledon uh, for our final. It, you know, it was after the ladies' final, so a lot of people went to get refreshments or whatever. And then as the match went on, there was a kind of a bit of a build-up of, uh, you know, intensity, I suppose, in the crowd or whatever. There's just more people there and, and, and everything. And it was, uh, yeah, obviously, when it comes to crunch time, everyone's, everyone's involved. And, and just being a part of that is just, yeah, it's been kind of incredible experience for us both, I think. 
And from your side, Fred? I went into the O2 finals with uh, pretty much the same attitude as Wimbledon, thinking that I might never experience this again. Probably won't experience this again. I'm going to milk every single second of this. So I came early. Hmm. I went to the dinners. I, I, I bid for the auction at the official dinner. I practiced a lot. I had uh, friends over. Uh, I watched the matches, did all sorts of things. Had an unbelievable experience. I really am happy with how I managed to make the O2 from a personal point of view. A monster great experience. I don't think it could have gone as well as it did. At the same time, I still have a little bit of a lingering feeling that there was a missed opportunity for us because I actually felt like we could have won it. Um, we uh, we won those two matches getting through on match points. Then the, the last match in the group stage was pretty flat. We had already qualified. It was a weird match. It was weird. I never played a match that was just pointless. They couldn't qualify. We couldn't we were going to finish first in the group. It was for money and, and points. And it was it was a strange vibe. We didn't play a great match. And then in the semifinal, we played Lopez Granollas, who we we played first round of Wimbledon. I just felt there was a good chance to win. Uh, we lost four and three, three breaks. Um, but we won more points than they did. And it was just one of those, every time it was a deuce point, we didn't get it. And just messed up a few easy points on serve. And at, at and and in the other final it would have been, in the final would have been Bupati and Popana who we'd beaten in the group stages and yeah I kind of feel that oh, that was a missed opportunity because I felt like we could have won it and uh, and then straight after the semi-final that was the end of the year I had a massive night we had a big big night and then the next day I had to come back to do ATP University which is in London. And the next day, and part of the event is that they take all the players from the ATP University to a behind-the-scenes tour of uh, the O2 Arena to show. And here are the locker rooms, and that felt a little pointless to me. You just played a week and say, oh, this is where the players change. This is the player lounge. Oh, great. A clutch in that match. Yeah. Another amazing experience. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I'd agree, agree with that uh, in terms of the, yeah, that, that third group match kind of stopped our momentum a little bit you know it, it was a weird situation and it was very fight it's, it's amazing to kind of say that it was a flat performance in a, in a, mm. in a, in a venue like that at that kind of stage but and and there was a lot of money on the line for it but I don't know I think it's just we like you say we had already qualified they they were kind of out of the tournament already it was it was a dead rubber and it was just Sorry, can I just chime in there as well? It was it was their last match ever together as a partnership because they were going to split. So they were, for some reason, they are not for some reason, but they were actually really pumped to finish off yeah. their partnership strongly. Yeah. And then for me, I think that semi, which I I, I didn't feel I played very well. I mean, I, I can't remember these matches like my friend. Freddie can tell you about every single point in the match. But uh, I remember coming off feeling I didn't really perform, you know, I didn't really feel like I did myself justice in that match. There's just certain times that I didn't. Yeah, I think you're pretty right. We just weren't clutch, and and there was points. To add to that, you actually felt so uncomfortable serving that we we you served first, and at the second set we actually changed. So I served first because yeah. you felt so shit on your serve, yeah. and you said, "Can you go first serving?" Which is really uncharacteristic that that we had me go first because you were obviously the strongest server, but you just felt 
so yeah, bad in that I, match I, too. I, I like, wasn't, nah. I wasn't feeling it that match at all, and and yeah, it was it was I was just pretty disappointed in the way it ended. But no, I don't, I don't think it was it was the expectation. Oh, we can win this. Yeah, I yeah. just feel like. You know, some days you get it. You just you're not feeling the ball that well, or, or yeah, something something else. Then, and it was just one of those days for me. So it was, that it was a bit of a disappointing end to the to the whole week for me. That, but then you know, it was an amazing experience to hold the whole thing and to be a part of it. It's just uh, it's ATP Tour Finals, it's unbelievable. Uh, another amazing result as well. Semi finals. I mean, it's nothing to be sniffed at, as they say. So two, no, two it was four. a great experience. It was a great experience, and the the kind of feeling of might have been able to make it out only came after when yeah. I was thinking back, and I'm like, ah. you know, it's a strange match. If you lose six four six three, they have three breaks, and we win more points. That's like, yeah, ah. yeah. yeah. In two thousand, so two thousand and twelve was was very special, you know, and probably like you say. Johnny, I'm sure you've you've reflected even more than Freddie. Or Freddie's still still got his got his career. How how did the next few years? And one thing I'd like to ask you both about is in 2016, I believe, Johnny, kind of out of nowhere, you made the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And if I'm if I'm right, and Freddie, 2018, I believe, you were playing with another British guy doesn't play too dissimilar to Johnny Murray in lots of ways. Um, you won Nottingham the week before, I believe, so had a good run in Nottingham the week before, and you went to the semi-finals so, of Wimbledon. So you, you both had fantastic runs again. How, how did those runs at Wimbledon compare? And I guess because it was your second big run into the tournament, could you explain maybe some of the differences that you felt or... Yeah, that's over to you guys on on how you felt with those. Uh, so, for, so for me, I I'd been uh, playing with Adil Shamastin uh, for quite a while, and and I I get on really well with Adil, and we, uh, you know, we're kind of helped out a lot by my brother as well. My brother gets on well with Adil, and my brother's a coach, and and he's yeah. he kind of he's obviously a big part of my kind of career. And, and, and helping me along uh, along the, the way and everything. And uh, so I, I, I felt I, w- I was in quite a good place of the deal, even though we weren't getting brilliant kind of results. I, th- I felt we were getting better and better as, as the year went on leading up to Wimbledon. And uh, and he, he's, he's quite similar to Freddie uh, in terms of his kind of mentality. He's, he's quite a re- relaxed guy and he's, he's positive. And he, he's someone that I I kind of fed off quite well, and uh, and he can he can really get hot a deal. And when he's in a good kind of frame of mind, and because he, he's he's got quick reflex, I think his game suits suits like a, a grass court as well. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think any time I get I get on grass and I get a Wimbledon, obviously having the the, the experience I've, I've I've had there, I, I would feel pretty pretty confident going into it. I, you know, I'm not I'm not feeling like I didn't go in there feeling like I'm going to win the tournament, but I felt like you know we could we could give everyone this draw a good game, you know. So why why not? Why can't we have a good run? And uh, yeah, I mean we had yeah we we kind of I think we beat the defending champions actually. So yeah, Jules and and Horia in the first round, and we kind of we actually 
played a great match there and, and, and beat them relatively convincingly. I think it was only best of three sets that because of the rain. So the, 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 it had been reduced from best of five to best of three for the first round. So yeah. I think we won a pretty straightforward match there. And then we won another You played great. I watched match. that match. You won. You played great. Yeah, we, I mean, we played great. So I think I, I felt my preparation was good. I was in a, again, I was in a right, the, the, the right kind of mindset going into it, very relaxed and, and enjoying the tennis. And like I said before, I think if, if I'm in that frame of mind, I, I feel like, you know, I play my best tennis. So yeah. if I'm just doing the right for things that, that, that make me kind of tick, then, you know, the, just matches come, come, come and go. And I'm not really too concerned about what goes on in the match, you know, if I, if I feel like I'm committing to, to, to what I do. And uh, yeah, I think, I think we had another a really long, a stupid, like, I, don't, I can't remember what the score was, like a 15, 13. 14, 12, uh, yeah. Yeah, third set, fifth set again. Yeah, third, uh, third round against Granolas again. And uh, who was it now? Cuevas. Uruguayan. Cuevas. Cuevas, yeah. With, with a quite amusing incident in there. They got they got point penalty to give us ma- match points Ooh. because he, he pretended to have a pee in, 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 the, uh, in the ball can or something like that <laughs> because he <laughs> was letting go for another toilet break. Uh, strange <laughs> one. But anyway, uh, we got the... We ended up coming through that match, and again, yeah, I think you know, I've been there before. Just, just, just taking every match as it came. But uh, in the quarters, we came up a bit short. I think I actually had a bit of a stinker that day, uh, which was the most disappointing. And that's, you know, what that's the thing I remember about that <laughs> that Wimbledon. I, you know, I, I put in a stinker in the quarterfinals, regardless of what went on before that. It's only now kind of talking through those rounds. Unfortunately, that, that's how I remember it because I felt we were both playing well. We were both feeling good. I don't know. I think it was a culmination of being pretty fatigued, my, my body and everything, and, because we, I think we played the next day after that long match. And, and then just, yeah, it was just one of those days where I wasn't kind of feeling the ball. So, so yeah, I think at any time that, that, that I went back to Wimbledon, uh, I, you know, I, I've got great memories there and, and I feel like I, I play my best tennis on that surface and, and, and in that kind of environment. But just on that, Johnny, so losing, there was a feeling of disappointment losing in the quarterfinals. Do you think if that quarterfinal had happened before the win, do you think you would have a different perception on it? And, and I think that the, 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 the way that I'm thinking this through in my head if you're a gambler and you you win a big you win a big bet, and let's say you you win a few thousand euros, and then you win a bet for two hundred or three hundred euros, it doesn't quite have the same have the same impact. You know, do you think because of the experience of two thousand and twelve, it it changed your maybe maybe even you know subconsciously changed your perception of of getting to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably quite a natural thing to do. If you yeah. if you've won a tournament to get to do, to get to the quarterfinal, you you know you know you know you've got further than that, and you've and you've experienced the you know the semis yeah. and the finals and everything. I think it's quite a natural thing. Like, oh, we kind of only made the. It, it, it all depends. Like when I first went to Wimbledon to 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 win to win a match, I think it took me my fourth go or something, and winning that one match was just like. Oh, well, no, first of all, it was like getting a chance to play at Wimbledon. Yeah, that, that, was yeah. my, that was my goal when I started playing tennis. 
can I get can I play can I play at Wimbledon? And when I, when I, when I got there, my first time at Wimbledon, I was 21, 22, It was like, oh my god, I'm played at Wimbledon. I mean, how yeah. good is that? Yeah. And then obviously you become more a bit more uncomfortable, more comfortable around that kind of environment. Next time you go, it's like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got over that feeling of oh being overwhelmed by the fact that I'm playing at Wimbledon. Now you know I, I can I can win some matches here, or I want to win a match, and then. It took me like three to three years before I won a match there. Yeah. And then you get that feeling, yeah, won, won a match at Wimbledon. How good is that? Yeah. And then, obviously, I mean, it just goes on. They got to third round a few times there. And, and again, it's an amazing achievement when I make third round. I come back first for the, for the first time. I go back to the locker room. I'm like, whoa, third round of Wimbledon. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I suppose your, your expectation, your expect, expectation, I suppose it's like, do you, do you really deep down believe you're good enough to win that? Like 99% of people that go go to that tournament probably to begin with yeah. probably never even never in a, you know would think they'd be able to win that tournament. I think I, I think yeah. from a personal I suppose I, I there's a small personal experience I have on this as as a coach was 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 2019 Wimbledon. We weren't expecting. I coach Evan Hoyt. We weren't expecting Evan to to play Wimbledon. You know, he he was. You know, we great honour to get a wild card into the qualifying for singles. About to book our flights home, back to Spain. He then, you know, they they were kind of like the last wild cards. You know, they do the first ones, and then you know, a few days before they give the last couple. <clears throat> to get a wild card into the men's doubles, didn't even really knew he'd even signed in for mixed doubles, you know. But found out because someone, somebody, had, I think Jay Clark had played with Coco Goff instead of with Harriet Dart, so it opened up a another wild card into the mixed. And this is mixed doubles, and not to put mixed doubles down because it's obviously a it's a great event, but in the mixed doubles. He went in very similar to to how you guys are talking, and you know I was very close to that that journey. Zero expectation playing Stam Stoser, Leander Pays, who have won however many Grand Slam mixed doubles before be, between them, just enjoying the experience. And and that journey of winning three matches and making the quarterfinals of the mixed doubles at Wimbledon felt like winning three Wimbledons, <laughs> you know, there was just such a, you know, the, the, every day was such a, a, a special extra day. Like, and, and Freddie, you talked so, so well about this when you were talking about the Wimbledon 2012 journey, you know, another experience to just enjoy everything that goes with it. And I guess my, from a coaching standpoint, it's not going to happen in 2020 anymore, unfortunately, but if Evan does get that opportunity in 2021, I would see one of my goals as a coach to still try and keep that that enjoyment factor, that amazing experience factor, and and try and reduce the expectations so that it, that would be one thing I would be fearful for of a player that I work with. I think is what I'm trying to say. If that makes sense, um, mm -hmm. it makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I also think there's a, there's kind of a fine line, isn't it, between uh, I'm here to enjoy the experience and yeah, and if if that's all there is, and you don't really, you know, there's no real belief that you can win matches, then you find a way to to screw things up a little bit, you know. Oh, I'm just here, I'm just here to kind of enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, 
I think deep down, you have to try and find a way to to think internally a little bit, at least. I'm not here to make the numbers. I can, you know, I can kind of win these matches. You have to believe that you can win these matches. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you can't just go to hopefully enjoy the experience. I, I feel like, uh, I feel like that, that you, you need to be in that mindset, but deep down you have to have that little inner belief that, yeah, I can, I can do, I can do something here. I can beat these guys or I can, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, enjoyment, enjoyment is also enjoying the hot moments during the tournament, you know, enjoying being breakpoint down. You know, it's not just about saying, oh, being completely uh, stupidly jolly and saying, oh, it's great times, five love down. No, it's about enjoying the, the, the journey as well and enjoying the hardship of being under a breakpoint or being up in a tournament or enjoying the process of finding the right game plan or finding out how to execute and all these kind of things. I completely understand what you mean, Johnny. It's not just about being a tourist. It's, it's very important. But, but to me that when I say enjoy the process and enjoy the experience that for me, it, it, it's also about enjoying how to do the right training, how to do the right preparation for a match, enjoying how to yeah. dig deep and find a, a, a tough hold sometimes or figuring out how to, execute a break point or these kind of things and, and not be afraid of this situation or even enjoying being nervous because it's uh it's all part of the process whereas uh sometimes in in everyday tournaments it can be easy to, to get lost and just oh, it's a little bit yeah but it's a, it's also i mean for your relative nations as well so for denmark and for for british tennis it's obviously unbelievable for the younger generation of kids and people around coming up to have seen you guys making, you know, you know, winning grand slams and going deep into a grand slam. I know just personally think uh, talking from, from, from an Irish context, I mean, the last player that we've had uh, playing at that level in Wimbledon was, was um, Connor Nyland. I'm sure you both know Connor, uh, really, really good, good tennis player, great tennis player and uh, best tennis player to come out of Ireland. Um, but I think that's, that, that's huge then for other players it has a knock-on effect for other people coming up to, to be able to see that wow well these lads have done it Um, you know I know in Ireland we've never had anybody really that has gone that far deep in, in, into the championships like that and the effect that that can have on you know younger generation coming up in particular I think is is absolutely massive it's huge you know and that's also why I think it's a good point Johnny makes that that it's it's not just about being happy and stuff. You've got to have a little bit of belief. And also, you know, we we didn't do it. We didn't go onto every court just being happy. We did it with good preparation, but it was more about enjoying the preparation and enjoying yeah. the, 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 the tennis and all that has to do. And it, it you know, if you think you're just going to say it's happy days and, and laugh all the way to the top, then obviously our point, my point has been misunderstood because that's certainly not what I'm trying to 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 yeah. to, to, to say. What I'm trying to say is that to enjoy everything about it, enjoy the pressure, enjoy the privilege of being able to play Wimbledon, enjoy figuring out what to do, and enjoy finding the small things about it to figure out where you can find an edge and all these things. So, obviously, I think it's a very important point Johnny brought out that it's you, you got to go in with, with with the attitude of having to play and compete. Yeah, and and yeah. I think that makes it all the more special what you guys did, because I think it would have your your journey in two thousand and twelve would have been. It, you, it would have been very easy to be the 
amazing run that ended in the final. Or, you know, especially as we talked about, you know, losing the, the tight fourth set, it would have been easily to, and, and Freddie rightly said, that hold at the start of the fifth set, which just showed unbelievable heart, unbelievable mental strength, you know, because it is very easy to be the glorious losers, you know, in, in that in that journey. That's often how that journey goes. You know, an unbelievable journey, fantastic. Oh, just fell short at the end. You know, and the fact that you guys got over the line is is, is spectacular. Freddie, moving to your 2018 experience, yeah. um, was it? Did it feel real? Did it feel like it was happening again? That was a very very interesting year because. So I kind of resigned to the fact that I was never going to play Grand Slams again. I had given up. I wasn't really enjoying too much playing the Grand Slam doubles at the end. I had a, the year Johnny made a, a run and uh, to the quarterfinal. I played with Chil Müller and it was best of three sets. And we weren't really, we, we had seven or eight rain interruptions. He was a singles player. He played to win, of course. He was a good friend. I'm not going to say anything, but it's, he wasn't completely devastated to go out either. And I kind of felt, okay. I'm done rocking up these tournaments thinking that I can just put a good result together for two weeks without having played with my, with a partner before. Excuse yeah. me. So, uh, I, uh, so, so I, at, at the start of that year, I kind of started to put some results together randomly. I was the last ones to get last team to get into a challenger in, in, uh, in Canada, ended up winning it, which got enough points to be the last team to get into a challenger in Seoul, ended up winning it got into then all of a sudden it was interesting for me to play with Joe because one of the reasons we were talking about playing but then one of the reasons I wasn't that interesting was we couldn't probably get into the build-up tournaments in service in Ilkley and Nottingham but then when I started to win a few tournaments that looked more possible then we played the Loughborough Challenger together played really well get along really well uh, I like his team a lot I go back with uh, with uh, with Tom Corey who was a coach at the time and obviously good friends with Ed Corey so we had a great a great understanding as well in many ways quite similar to me and Johnny we had a great respect for each other's qualities we were quite drif- different but got along well and uh, Joe's a hell of a player and we complimented each other quite well played really well there we, we got that momentum going into Nottingham which we won like you said uh, lost in Ilkley but actually played alright so we got into Wimbledon feeling like we're playing really well we were on a really sick winning streak and I actually managed to have a lot of the same experiences because I kind of thought, oh, I'm back playing Wimbledon. And I didn't really think I was going to come back. Yeah. This is pretty cool. The, the yeah. first round was a, was a bit of a stink in the sense that they, they were basically injured when they walked on the court. So it was a walk, as, as much as a walkover as you're going to get. Second round, the, the, was for one and a half sets, it was a, quite a good and competitive match. And then Bopana got injured, so we got another retirement. And then third round and quarterfinal were really high level of matches. And it's very interesting what you said about their, uh, the experience of having then won before going into the semifinal because in many ways, um, the whole thing was starting to, um, it, was, it was kind of happening again. And I, we weren't, I wasn't prepared, I hadn't prepared to win Wimbledon again. Uh, I had prepared from a tennis point of view, but I hadn't prepared for all the stuff that would come with it, more attention, press, and all this stuff. So as it happened, I could cut, it overwhelmed me a lot. And I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't prepared for it. I had prepared for the tennis. I had prepared for being nervous. I had prepared for performing on court one in Wimbledon whenever it was going to happen. All that I was ready for. 
but I wasn't ready for all the, the, the stuff that would happen outside the court. Having so, so when it happened, I didn't really have a defense for it. And I was doing interviews in the morning for TV before matches. And all of a sudden, started, people started getting interested again and tickets and all this. And I just felt a little bit, just let me play. I, 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 I wasn't prepared for it. So I actually ended up having a panic attack in the semifinal. It was right. a weird experience. Never, never had it before. I never had it since. Didn't realize it was that until after the match. And so in many ways, it was the most, it was one of my best performances of my life because the fact that I actually put a somewhat coherent experience, performance in was, was pretty impressive considering I was completely gone in that match. Like I felt somebody was sitting on my chest. I couldn't breathe. And I didn't know what the score was half the time. I was just, every time I had a service game and I held, I was like, at least there's three more games until I have to go through that again. And it was just, I'd never experienced that in my life. So in the third and the wow. fourth set, I, I barely knew what the score was. And it was, it just, the whole thing was overwhelming for me. So it was a great experience, but obviously the experience of having such a physical experience, which it was, yeah. because I literally couldn't breathe. I was like, <gasps> I tried to take deep breaths and it was like nothing happened. That experience obviously was pretty overwhelming going out of the tournament. And in a sense, I was just relieved after the match that that, that experience was over. But I was obviously sad that I, that it happened both for me and my partner for Joe's sake. I don't, but like I said, I don't think I played particularly bad. I played two terrible service games in the third and the fourth set, which it just, I mean, but it was pretty much inevitable because I'd reached the capacity of what, what, what I was able to handle, not from a tennis point of view, but just from all the circus outside the court that I was not ready for at all. Sorry, guys. That's all right. Yeah, so I was not ready for that at all. So it was a really extreme experience, something that I've never experienced before that or after that. So I, hadn't, I didn't know what, what to do in the moment. I'd never, I didn't have any mechanisms to deal with that. I, I, could, I feel like I can deal... At this point in my career and my life, and also at that point, I feel I can deal with anything tennis throws at me. But all that stuff outside the court, it completely overwhelmed me. It was it was a bit too much for me. And that, and you would put that down to not not preparing your mind, not preempting your mind on that beforehand. Was it was it yeah. more was it more than 2012 that you had to deal with? No, but but back then it was it was just all happy days because it was the first time I ever experienced it. But yeah. it was more like I, I was starting to feel like here we go again experience and yeah. people wanting it to be, oh, here we go again, the same thing. And I was thinking it and just yeah. the, the massive, the massive, yeah, the change of expectation and also just the change of attention and people talking and interviews and all, a lot of, in, a lot of, uh, yeah, tension and and the, the preparation I uh, I didn't do was like, what are we gonna do when this starts and you make the semifinal and 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 this and this and that. Uh, yeah. We didn't talk about that at all because we were only talking about tennis things. And in hindsight, we didn't even think about it. And when I say we, I see me, me and my obviously my my wife and my mental coach in particular because those are the people I talk the most about. So I I didn't think that I had to be prepared for it because I didn't realize that it was happening until it happened. But 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 it was obviously something that I, in hindsight, would have prepared myself for, so that when it happened, I knew what I was going to do, and how I was going to react to it. And you know, one of the, the I, I completely understand, for example, why people have people, like 
why, why people have agents or PR things or whatnot, because mm. there's a lot of nonsense and I don't have any experience in, in that, in that, for, in, the same, in, in that sense. So I don't, I don't think could have prepared myself because I had no idea, but that, mm. that I, I just wasn't prepared for it. So when it happened, it overwhelmed me. And then all of a sudden we are, we play a great match on, on, in the quarterfinal grade level and we go on, it's court one. A lot of attention. People are talking, 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 starting talking about replicating, replicating, which, you know, there were murmurs before that, but until we won the quarterfinal and after that, it obviously got more clear. And yeah. it just, it was just too much, not from a tennis point of view that I can handle. And I, I could obviously throw in a stink and all this, but this is something that I've never experienced before. It had nothing to do with the actual tennis match. It was just, it was, it was overwhelming for me. And obviously I don't think that would have happened if I hadn't had the experience of 2012. Yeah. So, 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 so that's why I think uh, it was different because you know people were trying to to make it 2012 again. I felt as well, and I was just like, but it's not. Yeah. It's different, you know. And if we just can, we just focus on playing. And and I wasn't prepared for that, so it was just, yeah. It's something that it's something that Andy Murray's talked a lot about. I think over the years of being being the sole British possibility of winning Wimbledon you know and I know that he, whenever there is other British players in for a little bit longer he's he's quite openly spoke about the fact that it's nice to have someone to share that load with you know and I think until you and I know Johnny you spoke about <clears throat> when I asked that question about 2012 you said well Andy was still going Andy played played Federer in the final that year so, so maybe you as a Brit could maybe go under the radar a little bit on in that year, and I think on, on where you guys are in such a unique position, and and also this is where I believe you guys can can offer insight that that ninety nine point nine percent of the world can't is what it really feels like to experience all of those different things, <laughs> and it's like as a and and that moves me into what I'd like to, to talk about to finish the show is is coaching. And I know Johnny, you've moved into the coaching world to a degree. Freddie, you've you've put yourself in the coaching world um, a small percentage of the time. And, and one of my big beliefs as a coach is the coaching skills, almost in whatever you're coaching, whether it's life coaching, tennis coaching, business coaching, you know, gymnastics coaching, the ability to the ability to coach a person is is obviously very important um but then having that expertise and, and the fact that you guys have such strong strong experiences i think my question to you first freddie because you are very strongly opinionated and, and and strong philosophies which have stood you in good stead how have you found that coaching other people in terms of getting the balance between one putting your philosophies out there but also secondly I guess one of your philosophies is a player has strong philosophies so you've got to try not to you've got to try and go with what the player feels I don't know if that question makes sense 100% and the the very interesting thing about my coaching is so I've been coaching uh, the Swedish player Michael Uma a little bit and we're pretty far from each other in the scales so it's really interesting for me because I have like you say I have to understand that uh, players have different motivations and whatnot, and I feel it's very interesting that that me and Michael can kind of meet in the middle. But at the same time, I feel like my philosophy, the way I like to see coaching, doesn't matter what kind of player you are, you have to understand why you're playing, and play for those reasons alone in order to get the most out of the potential. Because if you're playing for reasons that 
that you don't feel or believe yourself, it's going to have certain limitations. Or if you play for others' expectations, or if you play for expectations you think other people have, it's not going to work. And, and for example, one thing I learned from, from Wimbledon uh, afterwards was I was struggling big time to play singles because I was underestimating that people kept asking me about singles and doubles. I was like, I said at the press conference after Wimbledon that I wasn't going to change. So in my book, I hadn't prepared myself enough for that either. I was just kind of like, I said it. And people kept asking me to the yeah. point where actually the week before we went to Cardiff, I was with my mental coach at a tournament in France. And he kind of looked at me and go, oh, I didn't understand. I didn't realize it was this much because it was every day some player came or some journalist or every time I want to match in doubles, the same question would be just lazy journalism and me. And I hadn't prepared for it. So at the end, subconsciously, I, I started to shift away from playing because of the reason that I wanted to play. And instead it became playing, I'll, I'll, I'll show these people why I'm playing. I can make a result. I can shut them up. Yeah. And it just backfired massively. I couldn't play. My ranking dropped down a lot and I had no enjoyment on the court. Uh, that's that's exaggerated, but I had a lot of moments where I didn't enjoy it on the court because I got so angry and 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 my demons came out in that sense, and uh, and it wasn't until I found peace and especially one year after when when I felt that okay now my all my my two thousand points from Wimbledon have dropped off surely people will stop now and let me just play didn't happen and 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 that I learned a lot from that is to in 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 good times and bad times it's important to may under to maintain. Uh, the the reason why you play because that is going to give you the most out of it and at the same time what I've also learned in my journey is that one thing is understanding what what requires for a player to get good but you got to make sure that that player is able to take in information and all that stuff because it for example it doesn't understand it doesn't you know people would could tell me some things that I had to do on a tennis court, but it, do, it doesn't matter to me if my demons or my, my tension about my, my whole tennis limits me to, to hold back when I need to do it. It doesn't matter when, if I'm no to hit a forehand uh, and come in after it, if I'm too scared to do it or if I can't take any information. So, so for me, my philosophy is it's about managing your demons most because those are the biggest things, understanding what holds you back. And what stops you from taking in information, because I can see that for myself, that was a big deal. And I can see it from when I work with other people now, that you got to make sure that you are in a frame of mind to take in information. And it doesn't matter what information you're given. If you're not able to that, there's no point in giving information because it's just going to go in and out. So you have to have a consensus and understand, see the big picture. What are we trying to do? And then make the player get to a point of view where the player is at ease with what goes on. What you you understand, you both know what. So, for example, one thing I also have experienced is players that say yes, yes, I agree, I agree, but they say it because they think it's the right thing, but they don't believe it, and they do something else, or they get tight, or they get scared because they don't want to do it or whatnot. So, yeah. um, so, so in the big picture, you have to play for yourself and for your reasons, for your own motivations, and you have to manage your demons in order to. Uh, to know what to expect from yourself, you know, and then you have to be able to first of all get to a frame of mind where you know where you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to accomplish on the court before you can take in information. Because if you don't get to that point, uh, my experience tells me that you're just going to have a lot of disappointing experiences where you kept getting fed information by your coaches and you're not able to execute it because there are certain other breaks in your in your body that that stops you from doing that. 
Um, so if, if I have to limit it to that, if I get free range, I'm going to talk for the next five hours. But I think those are the main, those are the main, main points, basically to, to manage the demons, yeah. to understand what, what you're trying to do. Be sure that you're in a right frame of mind to receive information and play for the reasons that you want to play and what feels right within yourself. Yeah, very good. And that, that's, I mean, the, I've been... I've been coaching for a long time now and, and one of the, the framework that I in my head work with and I, I call it what's your code just purely because I, I do some conferences and it's nice to have frameworks when you're, when you're delivering these things and that in, in terms of developing a tennis player and, and the C is connect you know and there's lots of different connections you have to make with a player but to connect with their reasons their purposes you know, connect, with, connect with them as a person their story then then create order is the all and exactly what you're saying there order into into how you want to play order into how you want to live your life all of that and once you've got the connection and you've got the order you can then start developing a player but but i think mm. where where a lot of thing a lot of coaches go wrong is they try to develop the player before they have the connection and before they have the order you know, and that's certainly what you're saying there very much fits into, fits into that framework. And I think it's... And if I can just add to that, one of the, the mistakes that I've also seen for myself is that you start from your goal, you work from without your goal, you see the finished product and you compare to that instead yeah. of understanding the history, where are you coming from? Yeah. So is this realistic right now? No, yeah. this is only going to give you negative experiences because you're never going to get there because you can always get better. So yeah. you have to understand, start from here. Where, what, what, what is the history? Yeah. You know, if you come into a guy and say, uh, with a bad forehand, yeah. and the guy has been playing for 15 years, do yeah. you think some coaches has not tried to fix this guy's forehand? Probably not. Exactly. Yeah. So the number one key is to understand why didn't it work before and what's holding back, because there's obviously some reason there. So I think it's very important to start from where you are instead of always seeing where yeah. you want to get. Definitely, definitely. And and Johnny, how you've obviously, if you tell us a little bit, you you stopped playing not too long after Wimbledon two thousand and sixteen. When when did you when did you stop uh, playing? And what have you done I, since? And I stopped the beginning of uh, two thousand seventeen. Yeah. So yeah, I think the, the the end of my career. It was pretty frustrating time. I I got a few injuries and. My ranking dropped. I had a bit of a history of like calf injuries, so they, I kept popping my calves, and it's uh, you know they, I was getting frustrated with that. And then I had a bit of a tennis elbow issue, and yeah, to, to be honest with you, towards the end, I, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't getting any better. I felt like uh, physically I was going downhill, <laughs> and, and that was I think that was a big part of my my kind of game, my physicality and everything. And, and, and I lost a lot of kind of confidence from that. And so, it, yeah, I kind of made the decision, you know, I'd been thinking about it for a while, but I kind of made the decision after a, a, a tournament, pretty much out of the blue, really. I was just like, I've, I've kind of had enough of this. And I, I was in a kind of bad place with, with my tennis anyway. So, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted a bit of time out from tennis or I needed a bit of time out from tennis yeah. really because... I'd kind of fallen out of, uh, you know, fallen out of love with it a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I, I saw again a few coaching jobs just to, well, to pay the bills, really. I, I, I didn't feel like it was something I really wanted to, to do at that moment in time. But, yeah. you know, you need, to pay, you need to pay the bills and everything. So, 
it was a kind of natural thing to do. So I did that. And I think it's only recently really that I've, you know, started to enjoy the kind of coaching side of it and, and, and start to, you know, just realize that, that how, how I can help certain people, you know, that, that, that I'm working with. And, and I've worked with a few a different, you know, a, a quite a big variety of, of levels as well. Like one of my first proper jobs was with a, a doubles team. Yeah. Uh, it was with Henry, Henry and John, Henry Compton and John Pierce. I was with them for about a year. Not full time, but probably for about twenty twenty odd weeks a year. So that that that's quite interesting. Uh, working kind of back where where I was relatively comfortable on the doubles tour and everything. But to me, I, I felt they they were already quite an established team, a successful team, and, and I didn't really feel like I, I wasn't getting anything. Uh, you know, I really wasn't getting anything out of out of that job. To be honest with you, in terms yeah. of I didn't feel I was making a huge difference to to, to their to their play or, or, yeah. or things like that. So, and, and and I was basically doing the same thing, traveling around a lot of the year. Yeah. So, so, so that that wasn't something that I really felt right now is, is something that I wanted to do. So, yeah. Uh, I've, I've, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get some work with the LTA and working with some uh, British juniors, going away on some trips with them and kind of trying to support them and help them. Uh, which is which is quite interesting, you know. I haven't obviously been in that situation before, yeah. and obviously been at, you know, experienced uh, a lot of the things they're going through. So you know, I, I started to really enjoy that side of things, being like a bit more of a kind of mentory type thing. You know, I wasn't their day to day coach, but I was helping them on certain trips, and it was good building that kind of, like you say, Dan, building those kind of relationships yeah. first before you can really start to to have any kind of input you know and, and, and that kind of role I, I find it's also challenging as well because you, you can't really you've got to be careful about what you say because they've got their own yep. uh, personal coaches who they're working with consistently throughout the year and I'm, I'm dipping in and out and maybe just offering a little bit of advice in certain areas or, or, or listening to what they're kind of thinking and feeling and trying to you know help them through certain situations but you know, I I, I I was getting a lot. I'm getting a lot more out of that type of coaching. And like I said before, I'm, I'm actually here in Hong Kong now, and I'm doing a, a big variety of, of of work here at the minute with some kind of younger performance players, and then some kind of people who just want to get better at doubles, some kind of club players. So it's quite it's quite an in, interesting kind of mix of work I've got at the minute, and I'm kind of learning a lot Great. as I as I go through about how you know how different everybody is and how different they you know different ways people learn I suppose and 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 how they react to, to certain things I, I kind of say and you know I, I make a lot of mistakes as well but that's that's all part of the kind of process of learning how to how to coach I suppose isn't it so yeah I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying being around tennis a lot more now and but you know I'm still kind of figuring out exactly what kind of position I want to be in kind of permanently type thing, you know? So, yeah. That's where I, I think with both yeah. of you guys, I think you, you've got so much to give and you, and you both, <clears throat> you know, you, you've, you've both got very natural people, person skills, you know, I think 
it, 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 it is natural. I think whenever we, whenever we take on something else a little bit different, we're going to, it's like us with these podcasts, you know, we're supposed to be doing 45 minute podcasts and we're speaking for three and a half hours. You know, we're learning lessons all the time, but I have no doubt you guys will, will make great coaches or, or whatever you do. Um, can, I, can I just chime in with one point I forgot to make? Yeah. I think, which is my experience also, is the most important thing a coach is, is that he's there for the player. I yeah. think sometimes it gets lost because a lot of coaches are coaches for their own sake. Yeah. So a coach should be willing to be invisible. Yeah. The result of the coach's work should be the well-being of the player and the performances on the court. Absolutely. That should be it. And I think that's a very important thing. So you should be able to, as a coach, to do the annoying things, the tough things for the benefit of the player. You should be able to walk away from a situation if you really strongly believe that it's against a player. And I think that's a big challenge in today's tennis because the coaches are, the, are employed by the players and a lot of times they want to maintain their jobs. And I think that is one of the most important things as a coach is that to remember that you are there for the player and you must do what's better for the player. And if it needs you to be invisible and nobody knows that you're the coach, then so be it because it's not about you. It's about uh, the, the mental well-being of the player on and off court. That's how you measure your success as a coach, in my opinion. Yeah, it's re really, really well said, Freddie. And you, you're the Davis Cup captain as well. And you've been still playing. How, 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 is, how do you transfer or how do you... Um, how do you find that role that uh, you're the captain of the team, but you're also playing? Um, do you enjoy it? Um, are you? How do you how do you find that whole setup? Um, I, I'm uh, by the way at the moment I'm captain in the Fed Cup team, but I'm obviously not playing anymore. Oh, so obviously not playing in Fed Cup. Yeah, no, obviously not playing Fed <laughs> I Cup hope, either. I hope not. That's just something we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is progressive times. Yeah, you never know, Freddie. I could get the scared out yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoy this uh, this thing because obviously it was not an easy decision to make. I had some, I had some 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 issues with it at first. I thought it was going to be problematic to be a player and a and a captain, so I was pretty standoffish at first. But spoke to my wife and my coaches and my mental coach and uh, about it and the more we talked about it the more I got encouraged by the idea because I thought I could do a good job and I think one of the key reasons why I'm able to do it well now is because I'm not uh, an option for singles anymore had I been an option for singles I think it would have been more problematic I think there's some like right now it's if I had to choose between myself and singles and some other people that leads to 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 controversial things and I just think I might not even be able to make the right decision for the teams because I would be reluctant to maybe pick myself if the team required it because I would feel that it would look bad but yeah. it just and that there's just such a big difference in doubles that it's pretty I can pretty comfortably select myself for doubles without uh, being any any issues with it um, I have a good assistant, Martin Peterson, former tennis player, who helps me out a lot. That makes a big no, difference. Mark. Yes, and 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 the guys in the team, I'm doing it because I also feel that they're good guys, and and it's an exciting time for us in Denmark. That's also why I wanted to do it, even though it might be a little bit of a strain to play and can because we have a lot of long players, we have some good talents, we have two very good 16-year-olds. One of them was the junior world champion last year, and we ha we have a, a chance to build something up and build something up with this team. Uh, while all the team is pretty new 
uh, we have a good group of guys coming out of college right now who are going to start playing full time that haven't that have been in and out of the Davis Cup team, but not consistently. Torbegard, our number one guy in Denmark, is just consistently going to be playing full time, and hopefully we could get him. So, so there's a chance to build the foundation starting now, and I think that's really exciting. So we only had one match, of course, but it went really well, and they're good boys. And I'm I'm really intrigued about this because I I want to do something with Danish tennis as well. I have a Obviously, I'm Danish and I feel for, for, for Denmark and Danish tennis and we don't have a national center or anything. But this is one of the ways that I feel I can I can give back and do something for it. But Brilliant. I'm not just doing yeah. it for my sake. I also feel like I can make, I can I can do a good job. Otherwise, um, I wouldn't have done it. And as soon as I feel yeah. I can't do a good job, I'm out of there, of course. Yeah, that's great, Freddie. It's great. That's, it's, it's, I think it's from the outset looking at just amazing to see is that you're you know still playing ball and you're playing for your national team i think it's i think it's amazing brilliant that's pretty cool and boys just to just to wrap things up what can we expect what can we expect from you guys over the next five ten years mr murray <laughs> that's a big question isn't it what can i expect what can you expect sorry um I don't know really, Dan. To be honest with you, I'm uh, I'm, I'm trying a few things out, coaching wise. Um, you know, uh, looking in different opportunities as well, and I'm I'm looking to obviously stay stay in tennis and try and hopefully uh, you know use the experience that I, I've had to to help others. I think, and uh, so yeah, I think it, 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 it is, <laughs> things are a bit up in the air at the minute for me, to be honest with you. So. Uh, but you know, I'm looking forward to to the next few years and get getting involved in some different projects and everything, and uh, and seeing what happens. Really, great. And Freddie. So on a personal level, my my wife's American. She just moved to Denmark next last year, so we're still really integrating her to Denmark. She's pregnant with our first child, so in the next few years, we're gonna obviously settle down and try to to build a little family here in Denmark. So so that's that's probably gonna take a lot of my time the next few years. Tennis-wise, I, I never really look at the end date for me with tennis. So I'm playing now. I'm playing full-time doubles until I'm not doing that anymore. When that is, I can't really tell you. Uh, hopefully, as long as possible. But I'm not gonna make it uh, cringe-worthy to see me on the court. Uh, I have a very, very, I have a very good uh, full-time partner now, a German guy who I get along with well, and I feel like this is a like I'm really fortunate to have a good project. Uh, that I really want to build on. Uh, it looks like there will be limited tennis this year, so hopefully we can start from scratch next year and and get get some 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 good years out of us because I I still feel I have good tennis in me. I have good level. I haven't really had a. I I started playing full time tennis doubles last year, but it was a carnage year. I started the year not thinking, not knowing if I was going to play full time doubles. Uh, because I was just going to play until I'd lost all the points that I had to defend from Wimbledon and then kind of wing it from there. But then, uh, and then go with my wife uh, to, to, to travel around the world and play tournaments that I wouldn't normally play. So we went to the South America tour and all that. So where I'm going with that is that I haven't really played doubles full-time to play it full-time. So I was also coaching a lot last year and prioritizing various things instead of full-time tennis. So now this is the first year I'm really... Like, like we had our wedding during U.S. Open last year. I mean, so if uh, <laughs> not the best date to put it in, but uh, but this is the first year to uh, to really commit full time to doubles. Uh, so uh, so so I still have a lot to give. I'm learning a lot every day, and I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, I miss I miss every day that I to to play to singles. But I'm really fortunate that I still am able to compete in tennis. 
and make a living of myself. But like I said, because I always have, I also have a family to feed now, of course I can't feed them with love of the game. So there has to be some, uh, it has to make sense as well from a financial point of view so I can, uh, so I can uh, uh, contribute to the family. And uh, after that, I see myself staying in tennis because I love tennis and I want—I really enjoyed the side of the coaching that I've had now and I had a taste of it and I want to explore that further. And I think uh, one of my big ambitions as a coach in time is to be able to coach a guy in singles who was able to, to become a lot better than I was. And maybe one of the things that I really enjoy with Michael when, when we go into matches with him, that I genuinely feel that he has a chance to win all the matches he's gone in to play. And I, like Johnny said, I didn't have that when I played my tennis at all. I was trying to convince myself, but obviously I didn't think that I was going to be able to to win a lot of the matches I played. But when, when I'm with Michael, I genuinely feel that he can win these matches and hopefully in time he could get even better. And, and, and with time, at some point in my career, I would love to be able to be on the same side of a guy who's competing for Grand Slams and who's going into every tournament with the, with the ambition to win it. Yeah, fantastic. Boys, you've. I, I wish you all the best of luck. Um, I have no doubt that both of you will continue smashing whatever you do. Yeah. Um, on behalf of everyone um, that listens to this, and I want to say a big, big thank you. You know, this is. It's been full of insight. It's been. <clears throat> it's been full of humility. It's been full of nuggets that I think we can all take away into our own lives, you know, whether, what, what, whatever we're doing in this world. And, and thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Great catching Great up with you guys. Yeah. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. It was a pleasure speaking to Johnny and Freddie, and I'm pleased that you've had the opportunity to listen to them. I really appreciate you guys taking the time and if you can also take the time to share the podcast. Uh, We want to try and get the podcast out far and wide. We have more amazing guests to come. Uh, We've already recorded a couple of episodes which will be up in the next two or three days. So look out for that and we we look forward to hearing your comments and questions and anyone that you would like to see on the podcast or hear on the podcast, please please get in touch. We're here to try and provide this service for the tennis community at this difficult time. And we'll we'll keep doing our best to to entertain you guys, to educate you guys and to energize you guys throughout this time. I'm Dan Keenan. My co-host John McGann, a big thank you from us both.